1: Cavemen men from the pages of myth Cohabitating in darkness while we wallow in filth Generations of jewels will trickle down to abyss As blood stains these prisons like the pyramid cliffs Guilty or innocent, agents of government Treat our hoods like picking rounds Souls of tenement, all sagging uniform as thugs They represent racial stereotype. A profile for the oppressed When you witness genocide every day You get the hint that the ghettos are cold Like a lab experiment as young women men. So before they tend, graduating from doing our hard enough to deliver to the Fear and oppression, plague Generation X, the house of regret, lost down, our sea jets Regroup and repent, we lost sight of our mission, we with honor we rise for justice States. If you're herb or bird man, you're study running from jakes. I suckle with street souls that build and plant states. we the land for body law my skills educate. In these United States there stands no debate. The restriction of law makes us communists. A hate new world, a new focus. It's streets need to deal with new purpose. That eldership is lacking. The circus of misguided is deep. And prison state of mind and how you get in the street. Yellow P-I-M-B and you stress. Fake player cars to rest. Tell you
0: All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning, here on Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. I am your host, Nubay Brown. We are going to continue our, our listening to the personal history of, of Brother Malik, who is at the California Health Care Facility, uh, health care would be in air quotes, uh, here in California, um, and he has been in and out of the prison system since the age of 13, starting with the California Youth Authority, which is really just uh, prison abuse, legal slavery for our, our young people. Uh, but he is going to continue with that history, which is so important because uh, you've heard me talk a lot about the elders and who the elders are. They aren't just old people. They are uh, revolutionaries, black liberation freedom fighters who have been imprisoned, legally enslaved since their youth because they were fighting for the rights of their people. These are who the elders are and it's important that we continue to highlight them, bring their voices forward so that um, as we continue in this Black liberation struggle and trying to end legal slavery once and for all, we have to have the history and uh, we have to be cognizant of the young people who are coming up to continue this fight. All right. We are definitely going to hear the third part of um, A Political Prisoner, Veranza Bowers Jr., as well. We're going to continue with that interview that was done way back in 2002, but still incredibly relevant because Veranza Bowers, thankfully, is still alive, and, but he is still legally enslaved in North Carolina. Also, I do just wanna give a shout out uh, to uh, our uh, ancestor freedom fighter uh, who was a political prisoner, Geronimo Jijaga uh, Pratt, who on June 2nd of 2011, died of a heart attack um, in Tanzania. He was able to be on the African continent. And on June 10th, in 1997 is when Geronimo Jajaga Pratt was finally released from prison after 27 years. So um, these things are definitely important. Okay, we are going to get started again. I'm going to give a um, an apology right off the bat for some reason. The I am not able to capture the sound uh, very well with Brother Malik. I don't know what that's about. Uh, so. I had to cut myself out, but to just give you some context as to why he's saying what he's saying, because I made comments and asked questions, I will put those back in so um, it makes sense. All right. Uh, As we kind of stumble ahead here, I want to thank you again for being here. So appreciate you. Please tell people um, to listen to the show. And I want to give a shout out to this amazing station for... Uh, being so loyal to this hour, so incredibly important, we must remember that we are still living with legal slavery and our people are being genocided uh, through this system. All right, here we go.
2: This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Okay, let me, uh, I, I remember where we left off at. I think I had, I had just been attacked in 1963 while I was incarcerated. I was why... And uh, President Kennedy just got assassinated, and uh, I laughed, <laughs> and, and I got a text because of that.
0: Here, I commented on Brother Malik having been thrown in the hole because of that attack, and having his first understanding of why.
2: Yes, exactly. See, this is this was all in my transition from uh, uh, a Negro or a colored person to a black man. Like uh, uh, when I first met a. Uh, uh, Captain Edward Turrell, and he told me I was black, and I was like, man, this man is crazy. Then I met Malpa Banks, and he's like, come on in, man. You're going to be a general, and we need you youngsters, man, for the future. We are going to be involved in, in, in a fight, you know, and, and we need you, man. Come on in. Stop, you know, stop out here destroying each other and come help us, man. That was the next level. And then I go to Preston, and here he is. I meet uh, uh, my counselor, Albert Jones. And he was uh, hooked up some kind of way with Kyle Anstadt, and Kyle Anstadt was an author of various books, of uh, master Falconhurst drum, drum son, Falconhurst fancy, and on and on. He had wrote on the slave, uh, the whole uh, uh, mechanism of, of the slave trade, and and I had got that, and all this is helping me to become awoke to the plight of my people, right. and and. and, 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 and and this thing, these things that they're telling me are, 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 are taking them not light at all, because I had met my great-great-great-grandmother, and she was a former slave, her own self. And it, it shot me back to when she used to tell me those stories about how she was in slavery and in charge of the chickens and how they were hungry and what the slave to was doing, all this and all that. So that shot me back to that. So all this is in, on, on my boat as a a black man and, 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 and really a revolutionary, but I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know what was happening to me, but I was having all these feelings and all these thoughts and, you know, anger and rebellion, and, and I need to do something. And what even contributes more uh, uh, equally to that is the, the climate of uh, the political climate of the United States at that time. They had bombed the church and killed the little girls, uh, in the kill, uh, 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 burning down the towns and shing, hanging and lynching people all down south, and, and all that's coming to marches and, and sticking dogs on people. And what's the man's name, Bull Connors, and, mm. and all that stuff was, was, was prevalent. It was it, all this is going on, but I'm in California and I'm kind of like at a very point, I'm kind of like divorced from it, but by the same token, I'm like. Man, I've got relatives down there. You know what I'm saying? I, what the hell is this? Why are they doing that? And I'm not getting no answers. And, and you know, and my mother, she's from down there. Every if they would call themselves going home. And they would go back down south, but they would never take me. Never. Did they take me? They'd take my brother, my sister, but never me. Yeah, finally, I well, wait, wait a minute. How can you guys always take a vacation and go down to Louisiana and Mississippi and all that? You won't never take me," he said. "Oh no, you can't go. You get us all killed."
0: Here. here, Brother Malik and I had a pretty good laugh about the actions of his his parents, his mom, uh, but underlying that is the the reality of self preservation and making sure that people are staying safe because they knew the brutality and violence of the white people down south.
2: I wasn't afraid, but I, she knew, my mother already knew, that I wasn't going to stand for none of that. Mm-hmm. I was being like, you know, she already knew because I was in California fighting for no reason. You know, I'm fighting and getting hit in the head and hitting people and doing all that stuff, so she already knew.
0: Right. Hey, this
2: one here, this is especially that racist <laughs> stuff. So, anyway, she, but anyway, now, so that was a political climate at the time of uh, when this guy uh, uh, attacked me. So I beat him and went to the hole and all that. Next thing I know, just I'm cutting it short, I get out. I went, I get out in 64, like the beginning of 64. I was out 17 days. 17 days, and I got arrested.
1: You have 60 seconds remaining.
2: Oh, man. Okay. So, um, yeah, I I stayed out 17 days, and I was arrested again for a burglary, which I did not do. I don't know anything about it or whatever. I had a girlfriend. uh, Matter of fact, her name was Audrey Members and she lived on the east side. I lived on the west side. And I haven't been out for 17 days, so I don't really have uh, a vehicle or anything. So I'm walking. And just so happens, it's early. And it's, it's late at night early in the morning. I haven't even that. But uh, I'm walking down 54th Street. I get past, uh, just not even past Figueroa, just maybe, maybe a little ways past Figueroa. I see the police coming down the street. I do have a pocket full of marijuana with the rubber band around it, so I said, well, they're going to stop me. I'm the only one on the street. There's no, no one else except me and a police car. So I go in my pocket, I take the marijuana, the weed, and I throw it in somebody's flower bed, and I keep walking. And all of a sudden, I could see them. They just looked at me, like, pulled, pulled over. Where are you going? Who are you? Let me see some ID, blah, blah, blah. So I give them all they ask for. And, like, where are you going? Where are you coming from? Blah, blah, blah. I'm coming from. I just left my girlfriend's house, blah, blah, blah. How old are you? If you got my ID. Look at it. But look at it. What are you doing? I feel I'm on my way home.
0: All right. I'm just going to jump in here because I was so incensed listening to this story, even though. I've heard this story plenty of times. Um, it caused me to interrupt uh, this, the idea, the implications of our young people, our young our, our children being run down by the police, being questioned by the police in their own neighborhoods, um, asking for their papers like they're in Nazi Germany, but it's actually happening right here. In America, and has been ongoing for hundreds of years, and uh, systematically, uh, currently, uh, for decades, and and we do have to consider the implications of that. That is incredible trauma, not only to the children, but the parents, that they have. There is an entity that is systematically designed to traumatize our children and to make our children feel unwelcome, unworthy, uh, guilty, um, wrong, like second-class citizens of citizens at all, and they don't have anything, there's nothing that they can, they feel like there's nothing that they can do about it, that they are just at the, quote, mercy of this abusive genocidal system that can just do this to our children, and then accuse them and put them in uh, accuse them of things that they haven't done. They can just make it up, Take the word of anybody else except our black people, and then put them in prison, and jails and and uh, California youth authority or whatever the youth authority is. Uh, somewhere else in the state, uh, in the country. So when we talk about reparations, when we talk about generational harm, when we talk about abolishing the police, that it's not a system that can be reformed, when we talk about ending legal slavery, this is where it starts. This is where, this is why. And there should be no argument against any of that. Why did you,
2: uh, what, what, wait a minute. I'm walking down the street. I'm not, bothering anybody. I'm not doing them by myself. There's nobody else here. Why would you stop me? So I'm like, man, oh, oh. who the hell do you think you are, man? Come on, man. You can't just, what, what's going on? Get against the car. I'm like, oh, here we go. Well, I can, I, I see what's happening. They want me to refuse or but They want to beat me, right? I see what's happening here while I'm getting against the car and everything, the other officer takes his flashlight off and he shining the flashlight all down the street into the gutter and, and all up in people's houses going on and just looking and looking and looking. Mr. Trump is trying to find something to, to you know, to justify doing something to me. you know, damn, he shines. It's a gas station right on the corner on Figueroa and 54th Street. He shines the flashlight over there and he sees something. I don't know what he saw at that time, but he says, "Okay, put him in the car. We got him." That's on handcuffs me, puts me in the car, Drive back to the gas station. The whole side window is missing. <laughs> so they took out the whole, the whole side window. It's like louver. They took out all the glass. It's like a doorway right there. Oh, we got a burglar. We got a burglar. Hold up. I'm, by myself, walking. How, what do you think I've done? Like, are you in there, I wasn't you. hold up, hold up. You came down the street. This call and your telephone number
1: will be monitored and recorded.
2: You came down the street in your car, I've seen you and you've seen me. I was walking down the street, I didn't do nothing, man. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's what you say. He's one of nobody's on the street but you, you did it. I did what? You were in there, blah, blah, blah. I don't even say anything. Next thing I know, they got me down to the police station and booked me for burglary. Long story short, my people are like, oh, baby, what's wrong? I, I didn't do anything. I was walking down the street here you in know, five minutes. So oh, anyway, they charge me. I go to court. And uh, I'm telling my people, no, I don't even need a lawyer. This ain't nothing. The worst thing that's going to happen is give me some county cops. This ain't nothing. I didn't do nothing. It's no fingerprints, no evidence, nothing. I didn't have any merchandise. Uh, so this can't be nothing. And I went before Judge Mark Brantler. This was in 1964. And I still remember the man.
0: Here I asked him to remind us of his age. Before I was 19... 19-
2: 18, going on 19, something like that.
0: Okay. But anyway, Mm -hmm.
2: that man gave me, he sentenced me to what the law prescribed, and what the law prescribed six months,
0: 20-something
2: years. What? (laughs) exactly. How did you, and guess what the charge was? Attempted second-degree burglary. Six months was the minimum, and the top... I think 25 years or something like that. But he sentenced me to that. And I was fortunate that I was still on youth authority parole because some kind of way, I don't know (laughs) what the machinations were, but I went back to Y.A. And uh, I ended up in camp fighting forest fires, chopping down trees and all that. And I wasn't there long because I got out. Oh, I went around long again. Sixty-five came around, the riot, and all that happened. I think I told you about the what's right that happened, and uh, I get busted for armed robbery—five uh, counts of armed robbery that I did not do—and they find me guilty for that. And this time, I did have a lawyer and all that. They found me guilty anyway. I had uh, uh, seven people testify for me because one of my friends. My homeboy, Floyd Parrotton, that got murdered. And uh, we were over there planning his funeral and all that. And I met his grandmother and his aunties and all that because I was, you know, I was one of the guys planning the funeral because he was like in our in our gang. And we wanted to do a special thing for him, you know, the gang members. We wanted to have our little thing for him, a little send-out for him. And we were telling them, okay, I know i understand family, blah, blah, blah. But after you guys do all your to pray over him and all we want a whole lot of little things it's not going to be but a few minutes you know dead homie and all that we wanted to do that stuff so and i expressed that to his family and they were like okay after we you know been in mind I could do that so that's where they knew me from they came mm-hmm. and testified for me. it was impossible for him to rob those places because he was over here with the funeral they didn't even believe them people the judge said after they after the, the, these people were dis- dismissed, oh, did you know them? So I was like, no, I never met him in my life. I met him at the funeral. The only one I knew was his girlfriend, who was Brenda, Brenda Longino, and she testified for me. The whole family testified that, man, I was at the funeral. He was planning a funeral with us. He couldn't have robbed those places. And anyway, they found me guilty. <laughs> Long story short. Oh, my God, wow. Exactly. I am. At that time, you cannot tell me nothing about just the white people, nothing. I am enraged, incensed I'm, in, I'm appealing. I'm doing everything I can do. I lost the appeal and all. I'm like, man, well, wait. What? So my witnesses are just lying for me. And i never. you know, come on, man. We're black. We take it for granted that they're lying. But this one man is saying I'm the one that robbed him. I mean you accept his word. Seven people to testify for me. That I don't even know. You're not going to accept their word. So I was on fire. So, anyway, long story short, they sent me to, and they're getting ready to cut me off the phone. We haven't even got to my transition.
1: This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded.
2: I haven't even got to the, I'm still a, really, really, I'm relatively still a youth. That <laughs> We haven't even got to when I got grown and met George Jackson and my transition from. A straight fool. <laughs> but it hits me even now how I was manufactured as a criminal, as a hook. They made me. And then they act like, you know, they're so surprised now that the staff that I take now, they're so, oh man. Well, uh, yeah, I get emotional. I'm, I'm still uh, weird like that. I that, that it would affect me like that, but it does.
0: I offered it's because Brother Malik still has his deepest humanity and his self-respect.
2: And I'd be so hurt when I listen at the news; and guys were just killing each other for no reason. And would my anyway, uh, but anyway, I, I, I had I had grown. I had grown tremendously in a short period of time because I started realizing things and reflecting back to. To, to various incidents to various things that uh, knowledgeable people had shared with me. And I was like, oh, man, you mean to tell me? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because I remember, like, when they started from, from, from a child, when I used to go to the movies and see the Al Capone movies, the, you know, uh, 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 Robin Hood, Ivanhoe, how these guys, uh, the pirates, how they were fighting against the systems, how they were fighting against injustice the serfs and the, and the and the royalty and all then I was like, whoa, look at this part of my French, but I was like, man you know what I mean? And and, and you see the, 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 the evil machinations of the of the of the of the mindset that, that just does it and keep it going for generations and generations and generations four hundred plus years and still today two thousand and twenty three and you still see it. And you think about all the brothers that died: Fred Hampton, Mark Clark, Gal uh, 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 Prentice Carter, uh, 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 on and on, and Josh Jackson, on and on and on, all the way from Saint over Overture and the, the, the right, the thing in Haiti, the, the whole gamut of, of, of our struggle, and, and, and still today, and you see, look today, and I talked to some of you they don't even know who Malcolm X was. And it's, it's like, whoa! How don't you think you don't know anything? And then conversing with these young dudes, they tell me, man, I go to my grandmother as far as I go. And after that, I don't even care. I'm like, what? You don't care about what your people went through, and, and you. You have 60 seconds remaining. You know, you don't even exist except that somebody sacrificed their life to make sure that you got here. You know, their life, man, and, and your whole life. Anyway. We're going to continue. We're going
0: to continue. Yes, this story will continue. You will hear it here on Prison Focus Radio at KPOO San Francisco 89.5 every Thursday at 11. Please invite your friends, family, comrades, whoever, to continue to hear this story. The lives of real people are being, as Brother Malik said, manufactured. The lives of real people are being impacted. The lives of real people are being um, shaped and um, disfigured and and we can change the narrative into something much more inspiring and empowering um, by again increasing our knowledge and a depth of consciousness all right I am going to read a letter from uh, death row prisoner Kevin Cooper who is uh, here in San Quentin California, um, another black man accused of a murder that he has um, claimed his innocence since uh, he was uh, charged with this horrific crime uh, back in 1983. And as you could hear from our testimony from Brother Malik, uh, black people can just be accused of anything. And especially in this case, uh, the, the person who was identified of actually killing this married couple, their two children, or no, so a married couple, one of their children and another child um, who was staying with them. Um, the person that was identified was a white man. So um, if you don't know about the Kevin Cooper case, uh, you can check that out by going to freekevincooper.org. Uh, but for now, I'm going to first read the, the most recent article that came out of the San Francisco Chronicle of uh, January of 2023. The new report, uh, the title is New Report Affirming Death Row Inmate Kevin Cooper's Guilt Hasn't Put Doubts About the Case to Rest, and it was written by Bob Agelko. This will just give you kind of an understanding of like where the case is at this point. So Kevin Cooper's death sentence for the 1983 murders of a married couple and two children in San Bernardino County is probably the most contentious capital case in California and is likely to remain so despite the findings of a state-ordered special investigation that Cooper was clearly guilty and had not been framed. State and federal courts have upheld Cooper's convictions and death sentence for the fatal stabbings of Doug and Peggy Ryan, their 10-year-old daughter, Jessica Ryan, and 11-year-old house guest, Christopher Hughes, at the Ryan's home in Chino Hills. Cooper had escaped two days earlier from a nearby prison where he was serving a sentence for burglary. But his claims of innocence have drawn wide support, including a 101-page dissenting opinion by then 2000 Judge by uh, opinion in 2009 by Judge William Fletcher and four colleagues on the Ninth ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, who said there was reason to believe officers officers had manipulated and planted evidence against Cooper. Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was a U.S. Senator from California, urged Governor-elect Gavin Newsom in 2018 to order new DNA testing on evidence in the case. Newsom issued that order In February 2019, declared a moratorium on all executions in the state a month later, and in May of 2021, ordered what he described as an independent investigation into Cooper's case. The report by the San Francisco law firm Morrison Forster, which you will hear in the letter that I will read from Kevin Cooper as mofo, wound up its 104-page assessment of the evidence by declaring that, quote, the evidence of his guilt is conclusive, conclusive, unquote but some of the evidence cited in the report might raise questions about that conclusion. (laughs) Cooper and his supporters have argued that the actual killer was Lee Furrow. Like I mentioned, he's white, a paroled murderer who had been in the area. According to the report, two men who had worked alongside Furrow on construction projects in Pennsylvania told California's independent investigator that they had heard Furrow say in 2018 that, quote, me and my boys, we butchered a whole family, unquote. Furrow's former girlfriend told the investigator that soon after the killing, she saw him wearing a pair of blood-stained coveralls. A sheriff's deputy questioned Furrow six months later, then took the coveralls and threw them in a dumpster without testing the blood-stains. How this case just isn't thrown out immediately is, is just disgusting to me. Um... The report dismissed the construction worker's statements as, quote, not reliable, saying the workers had recently seen a television program that mentioned Furrow as a possible suspect in the killings and had not reported their conversation to the police. While the coveralls, quote, should not have been destroyed, unquote, the clothing of the Ryan's killer would have been covered with blood in contrast to the scattered bloodstains described by Furrow's ex-girlfriend, the law firm said. It also noted that investigators found Cooper's DNA and fingerprints at the murder site, but no evidence of Furrow's presence. Furrow had admitted strangling a 17-year-old girl, Mary Sue Kitts. Now remember, apparently Kevin Cooper had escaped prison because he was in for burglary. This Furrow person has admitted to strangling and killing a 17-year-old girl an actual murderer, Mary Sue Kitts, in 1974, at the orders of Clarence Ray Allen, who was also convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Allen ordered further killings in prison, including an unsuccessful attempt to kill Furrow, and was executed in in 2006, the most recent convict to be put to death in California. With credit for his testimony against Allen, Furrow was released after serving four and a half years for slaying Kitts. He has denied any involvement in the Ryan deaths. Of course he does. The report also discounted the first response of the only survivor of the attacks, eight-year-old Josh Ryan, whose parents and sister were killed. Josh, whose throat was slashed, was questioned at the hospital by a social worker when he was unable to speak, but he signaled by touching letters and numbers on a page that the attackers had been three white men. Cooper is black and Furrow is white. The boy later told a sheriff's deputy that three Mexican men had been to the house that night. And after seeing a televised photo of Cooper, Josh said, according to a law enforcement officer, quote, that wasn't the guy that did it, unquote. All right. That's as much as I'm going to read of this. It's also just going to piss me off even further. But you can read this by um, this uh, this article, the rest of the article. Um, from the San Francisco Chronicle, again, by Bob Agelko. And the name is New Report Affirming Death Row Inmate. Kevin Cooper's guilt hasn't put doubts about the case to rest. And now I would like to read this letter um, from Kevin. This was um, from May of 2023. Comrades, this is KC, and I send this message to you in peace and solidarity. Just as I wrote it, these truths I write and send to you through our fellow comrade Carol are a must. While they are obvious truths, they still must be said by me. Mofo, remember, Morrison Forster, and their ex-LA County Sheriff Department experts, quote experts, and others they hired, did more than just say that in their opinion I am guilty. They went out of their way to make me appear as a monster to whoever read the report and in the eyes of a certain part of the public. They did did this because this is what they and others in their situation have historically done to Black people in this country, especially Black men. This historical narrative is how they try to take away our humanity and make us appear to be inhuman and a monster. This is how they dehumanize us, destroy our character in order to not only murder us, but to keep us in prison. This and other types of damning, us in public that are still happening to us in this country did not start in 1915 with a D.W. Griffith's movie, Birth of a Nation. These types of things have happened to Black people ever since the first Black person's feet touched the soil of this land. Do you know the real history of this country? This is the playbook that MOFO has decided to work from. This is the same playbook that was used to murder Mr. George Floyd and others. When that cop, Darren Wilson, murdered Mr. Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, he stated that Mike Brown looked like a monster coming at him. So he shot him. Remember that? It's the same playbook used by law enforcement throughout the history of this country. But it's the institutions and the system as a whole that is to blame for allowing cops and ex-cops to get away with these types of things. Who knows how to do this better than those two ex-law enforcement cops that MOFO hired as their experts these things that they did by trying to dehumanize me are not in governors are not in the governor's executive order they took this upon themselves to do this to me this was above and beyond what they were ordered to do but we know why they did this and it is because they want to shut down all of the help That I have received from so many different people and organizations, people who have stood up and spoke out for me and against what they did to me, people who helped to expose the truth about me being wrongfully convicted. So they wanted to make me look as bad and as evil and as inhuman as they could in order to stop people from helping me in the future, as well as to deny my clemency. What they tried to do will not work. And that's because I and many of you and the attorneys representing me will not let it work. I know the history of this country, and in knowing, I also know who I am as a man and a human being whose people and ancestors have built this country while being dehumanized every step of the way of our existence in this country. Not only do I understand this and why MOFO did what they did, Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe LLP know why this was done to me as well. Oric is having this done to them as well, because their name is on my very piece of legal paper, petition, memo, oh, sorry, on every piece of legal paper, petition, memo, and all else since they took on my case in 2004. They have a vested interest in this and in defending me from this hit piece that MOFO did. Oric and all of its attorneys are working to fix this bias and bogus MOFO report, which my clemency petition is part of. Oric forced those who were against me to watch as the governor granted me an innocence investigation because we proved how bogus this entire case is against me. So they and their cronies took it upon themselves to retaliate against me, my attorneys, the governor, and this innocence investigation by doing not only what they did, but the way they did it. From what I have been told by the people who I honestly trust on my legal team, their reply to Mofo will be worth the extra time, the extra waiting time that is happening right now. They want to do this right and correctly and not fast because they have disproved proved damn near everything that was written by Mofo and their experts. I trust Oric because not only did they stop me from getting murdered by this state in 2004, they have also spent millions of dollars fighting to get me out and they still are spending money to get me out. Every attorney that Oric has assigned to this case is working very hard to fix this, even though I have not personally met them. They see this wrong that is being done to me, and they are trying to fix it and make it right. By our getting that innocence investigation, it not only pissed certain people off, it also scared them because they know that if I do get out, I will not go away. I am an abolitionist and all that comes with it. I will hold them all accountable for what they did to me and tried to do to me. As author and humanitarian Alice Walker once stated, quote, Activism is the rent I pay for living, unquote. and that's my mentality as well. I hope I quoted her correctly. What I am saying is, MOFO, their experts, and every other law enforcement type entity knows what I do. They go to my website. They read my essays, they listen to the events I speak at, because this, prison records, because this prison records all phone calls, because they know these things about me, they cannot let me out in their minds. All the help that I have received is still here for the most part. I did lose a few people after that MOFO report came out, and some others are waiting to receive and read our reply before they decide whether or not to continue to support me. Most have stayed, and new people have since joined this fight. But the main people and organizations have not quit on me. I have not lost them. And they were pissed off at MOFO for not writing only what they wrote, but for doing this the way they did it. We are in in this to win again because we won the first time by getting the innocence investigation. And now we will show and prove that MOFO was wrong and is wrong. And we will do this in the not-too-distant future. In peace, struggle, and solidarity. K.C. All right, no music breaks this week. We are going to get right into the rest of the interview with Veranza Bowers Jr. That was done with uh, a Youth Ada Levinson back in 2002 with KZYX on Youth Speaks Out. Um, uh, yes, KZYX, Mendocino County. I
1: just do the best I can because uh, I love people and I love life. And I've been blessed and fortunate enough to have good people in my life, like a master flute maker I know named Monty and a good friend named Garth and the Elegant Lady and K.O. and Anna and, and Ovidia, and uh, Paulette and Sophia and the Jericho Movement. You know, they've given a lot of support. And Teresita, uh, the list goes on to where you, you just can't name all of the people who've influenced your life and you accept that blessing as it comes, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, one thing i got to mention is uh, that uh, I had tried to escape in Lompoc in 1979, and uh, after I was shot and apprehended, and my my partner was shot and apprehended, the medicine man named Archie Farlame Deer <clears throat> sent a couple of warriors over and invited him to a sweat life ceremony of Native Americans, and from that ceremony that day, it was, it was a healing ceremony. And I, 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 I adopted those ways, and I, I walked that path of what they call the Red Road, what's called the Red Road, and that sweat lodge and the ceremonies, you know, the, the, the discipline, the taste, and the, and the connection with, your, with all living things has, has made a significant change in my life, including uh, Sakahashi, you know, the, the blowing, the using of the breath, connecting with your inner self and in meditation those kind of things, healthy exercise and eating, try to eat the best you can. And, uh, you, know, are, you can, you can still smile in spite of the harshness of the environment, because the environment do make a, a difference, but they, I don't think are the determining factor into how you view the world and how you respond to that world. Because today is a lot different than it was in the old days, you know, and, and particularly, uh, Either this institution where I am, Coleman, Mm -hmm. Florida, it's the first time after 26 years I've came to a lower level security type institution. And unlike any other place I've been, and you know, you would think that I'm going cuckoo to say any other place I've been, I've never experienced like an an administration like, like this one. You know, because here, because of the, the broad vision of the, the warden and, the, and his administration we allowed to, to have quite a few programs that are meaningful programs in the sense that the guys can can contribute something back to society because we have a, a little program we call yes youth encouraging support wherein that we're able to make contact through a program with young kids who they call trouble kids but they really are kids in trouble you know like from the ages eight nine 10 11. 12, 13, and 14, have been in trouble with the law. We're able to sit with them in the visiting room and uh, interact and and exchange a lot of ideas and feelings and thoughts to to try to make a difference. And have a program called Nonviolent Training Outreach Program, and as the word implies, Nonviolent Training Outreach Program, teaching guys self-respect and character building and very positive things. With the fine arts department, you know, where we we put on plays that are slices of life, you know, and these type of programs, because of the way things are going today, have been not allowed in many, many, many places, and so I think we're we're like pioneering and and, and laying the groundwork for the, for the for the future because today there are so many young guys coming into prison, many of them without a GED. Or, or communication skills, or other things, <clears throat> we're able to make make a difference, you know. And even that is is very meaningful to me, you know, as an individual to be able to do those kind of things. So, even though prison is a place where no one wants to be, because we are here, then some will will, will make a positive use of this with their years of confinement, and some don't. And it, it, it's real painful and terrible to see those that don't, you know. And it's and often oftentimes through no, through no fault of their own. But at any rate, all those things combine together to uh, either make you into a better human being or break you and make you unrecognizable as a member of the human family when you're released. So if something has to be done, and it has to be some, some things addressed, you know. And uh, there are men here who are trying to address some of those things, mm. right, no doubt there are in other
0: places. Today marks the anniversary of the attacks on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, which resulted to or in the deaths of thousands of Americans and undocumented workers. Mm. Um, could you describe what happened inside the prison that day and how it how it has changed since then, since September 11th?
1: Yeah, you know... That's a. That's what the thing there you, you just you just brought up, you know, and like you said, today marks the one year since since this thing happened, and just like all over the country, you know, things have changed, especially outside where you are, things have changed, you know, and they will never be the same. On on that particular day, it was it was a uh, probably like everywhere else, you know that. It was something that couldn't have even believe, believed to be possible, you know, with the, with the loss of that many lives all at once, and not just the lives that were lost immediately, but the families and things and everybody that was affected by it, you know, and, 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 and one thing, you know, like we have, a we, we participate in a Native American sweat lodge ceremony, and there's one guy here, Sioka Tommy Hafoka, from uh, the island of. Tonga that's way in the middle of the Pacific you know and he's a member of our sweat lodge ceremony and this guy he's a big gentle giant I mean a huge guy and he's a gentle has a heart as big as he is big And, and this guy and there's about 600 1600 people here in this institution maybe 1700 this guy was so affected as many people were he fasted every single day every single Tuesday until today, till yesterday, which made it a whole year of fasting. You know, without food or water, just to remember that day and remember the spirit of, the, of what had happened. You know, and but it, there hasn't been a lot of direct changes as a result of that. But I do know that 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 uh, you in know, institutions are uh, you know, on lockdown, meaning everybody was locked into their cells. Like i say this place is is a, a lot different than a lot, of, a lot of other places and uh so we didn't we didn't directly experience that although a a, number, a few guys got locked up you know because of their religious affiliation with uh islam you know and uh you you hear the the diversity of attitudes about this whole thing you know but we also i i myself recognize that not only were there a lot of people innocent lives lost. There but, but you know that the repercussions and the people of Afghanistan and throughout the world have been affected by what happened that day. I think it was something like at least identified two thousand eight hundred and our uh, odd people you know with body parts still being found but uh in my own mind and heart that was that was a great tragedy you know and and like in all wars and all Of all times, you know, war is a mutual slaughter of of men and women. And those those kind of things, they can only sadden the heart, you know. But uh, that's about all I can say, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. If there was one thing that you could change in this world, what would it be?
1: I would love to be able to change the relations among men. When I say men, I'm also including women. Humankind. You know, because, like, we talk about war, poverty, hunger, and misery. On the one hand, you know, it's opposite always exists. But it boils down to the relationships. Relationships, to me, are very, very important. And if there could be a world free of sexism and classism and ageism and all those other isms and schisms that divide the human kind, you know, not to mention racism, which is an artificial... Version of. That unless we cooperate as a human species, can we not perish? Finding heaven on earth.
0: Love, mm-hmm. and that piece is Finding Heaven mm-hmm. on Earth, that you can find um, on any of your streaming platforms for music. I use Spotify, uh, but you can find it elsewhere, and I encourage you to pick it up. Again, Finding Peace in the Chaos is the name of the album, with Veranza Bowers playing the Shakuhachi flute and, uh, and Red Love. Yes, this is done with from prison in collaboration with people out here. It is that kind of unity that we speak of here on a regular basis. We are here to uplift the beautiful people that are being enslaved behind uh, behind enemy lines in the prison industrial slave complex. And Veronza, a political prisoner, like many of the people that we hear from on this show, Kevin Cooper being one of them, wrongly accused, their lives being snatched from them uh, for crimes that they did not commit. Which means other people are getting away with these crimes. It is a crime to be black in America. It is a crime to be poor in America. And until we take up that spirit of collective cooperation and unity Um, as Veronza Bowers has has said, we will perish. So let's not be complicit. Let's do something about this. You can write to Veronza Bowers. His number is 35316-136, FCI-2, P.O. Box 1500, Butner, North Carolina 27509, You can continue to boycott products that are sold by companies using prison labor. Uh, We have Olay products, Head and Shoulders products, Old Spice, Gillette, Venus. These are the razors. Crest toothpaste, Oral-B products. We don't have to be complicit in these companies uh, uh, profiting off of slave labor, captive labor. Continue to come to the show, invite other people, build your knowledge, deepen your humanity. If you haven't already, mark your calendar for August 4th through 6th so that you can be a part of the Prison Lives Matter, Liberate Our Elders webinar that's going to be taking place in three cities uh, here in Oakland. Well, I'm in San Francisco, but in Oakland, Chicago, and New York. And listen to Abolition Today today by going to abolitiontoday.org every Sunday evening at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And support Black-owned businesses and young youth um, uh, entrepreneurs. All right, that is our show. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.